This is episode number 25 with Dr. Joseph Mercola. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dr. McCola has been a physician for 25 years and seen over 25,000 patients. He founded McCola.com 20 years ago, which has been the most visited natural health website for the last 13 years with over 30 million views every month. Holy guacamole. He has written four New York Times best-selling books and his latest book, which is called Fat for Fuel, A Revolutionary Diet to Combat Cancer, Boost Brain Power and Increase Your Energy is out right now. I have personally visited his website many times seeking answers as an avid health and wellness lover. And as a fellow biohacker, I love his approach and how he breaks down scientific information in an easy to understand and digest way. He is one of the most well-known doctors on the planet, a very straight shooting, meticulous researcher who genuinely wants to help people live healthy, disease-free lives, which is why I am so pumped to have him on the show today. In today's episode, we chat about his journey from where he was to where he is today, the dangers of EMF and how to limit your exposure, why now more than ever we are seeing more people dying from cancer, what is mitochondria and why it is important for peak health, the difference between metabolic mitochondrial therapy, also known as MMT, and a ketogenic diet, the best healthy fats to fuel your brain and body, intermittent fasting, what it is and why it's key for health, how eating too much protein can be detrimental to your health, why eating big meals at dinner time is probably not the best idea, why skipping dinner could even be a good thing for your health, how to boost your brain power and increase your energy, the importance of DHA and where to get it, how MMT differs for vegetarians and vegans. This was really interesting. I loved his take on this. The best foods to travel with, the tip on avocados that will save you bucket loads of money, the importance of vitamin D exposure, plus so much more. For everything that we mention in today's episode will be in the show notes and you can find that at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 25. And without further ado, let's dive into today's epic episode with the one and only Dr. McCola. (music) 
Welcome, Dr. McCullough. I am so excited to have you here. Now, I know you are a creature of habit, so I could probably answer this question for you. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I had a keto-friendly smoothie, which I uh, bet you'd let, be interested in what was in the smoothie. There's actually about two dozen ingredients. <laughs> but Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've uh, tailored it over the last year or so, so it's got a lot of great stuff. But uh, things like uh, an avocado, uh, cook raw cacao butter, uh, caprylic acid, um, and a bunch of different herbs and seeds. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if they need all the details because it might confuse people, but it, it's healthy and it, and it tastes good. <laughs> oh, and raw, raw egg yolks too, which is another key ingredient. Now, you pretty much don't need an introduction as you are one of the most famous doctors on the planet. But can you take us back and tell us how you got to where you are today? It's really a simple formula. It's just you identify your passions and you uh, just commit to that and really be excited. So it's not really a hardship at all. You just enjoy what you're doing. And two of my passions were technology and uh, health. I went to medical school and finished in the early 80s. And my first computer programming class was in the 60s. So I just merged those two when when the time was appropriate and um, started a newsletter when the internet was early, early on. I started the website actually before Google started their site. So I've been around for 20 years and had a chance to connect with a lot of people. Now, so longevity is one being being out there for a while is an issue, but uh, but you have to know what you're doing too, because there's been a lot of people have come and gone since then. <laughs> Did you know growing up as a kid that you wanted to do something with technology and health, or was this something that came later in your teens? No, no, I really didn't. What did you want to do as a kid? Well, I've I've been passionate about health since I was a even before I was a teenager, uh, and I enjoyed technology, but never really pursued the uh, computer science until I was in, pretty much in high school and college. So, and and I and once <clears throat> in medical school, you really I'm sort of an obsessive compulsive and really just committed myself to learning the material there and didn't really venture out to anything else uh, for fear of failure <laughs> because I didn't want to, there's, you know, a lot of people know that there's a significant percentage of people who flunk out of medical school, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20%. And I didn't want to be in that group. And uh, it's, it's a pretty incredibly tuned group. And, uh, you know, these are some of the best of the brightest people out there. So, it was it was very unusual to be towards the back of the class rather than at the front as I was in college. Now, I am so excited to celebrate your book that's that's just come out, which we're going to talk about. But I wanted to share something with you. In 2015, my best friend, Jess Ainsco, who was also known as the wellness warrior, passed away from cancer. And with cancer being not far behind heart disease as the you know biggest causes of death, what is going on? Why are so many people passing on from cancer? Can you share a little bit of insight into that? In the U.S., it's 1,600 people die every day from cancer. Uh, it's projected to be the number one cause of death by the year 2020. That's 50% of males were going to come down with cancer and 40% of women. Uh, and that's not, in, that's not skin cancers. That's 
pretty much serious cancers. So it's a big issue. There's a lot of contributing variables for it. I think one of them, of course, is the ignorance of what an optimal diet is and the reliance on processed foods, industrially processed foods primarily, um, vegetable oils and sugars would be the two primary culprits. But then you have other components, such as the toxic exposures that we're continuously exposed to and the inability to, to detoxify those properly. And one of them's being the pervasive nature of um, microwave radiation in the form of our Wi-Fi routers and cell phones, which is accelerating the process. And then, of course, we've got herbicides that are being sprayed uh, at 5 billion pounds a year, like glyphosate or Roundup, which doesn't help at all either. So there's a variety of factors that merge synergistically to result in what we're seeing now. And it's not only cancer, it's heart disease, it's neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, you know, about Australia, uh, but in the U.S., you know, we're approaching 70% of the people are overweight. So that's just an artifact of what happens when you're exposed to these types of factors. Yeah. Let's chat about the radiation, because I have this feeling that in a few years, we will be kicking ourselves for not taking more serious action now. And, you know, we are doing the best that we can in my home with my husband. You know, we turn the Wi-Fi off and we use our Kindle and we've got our blue blocking sunglasses and, you know, we do the best that we can in our home environment. But what are some other things that we can do to really limit that exposure to EMFs? Because do you feel like, you know, more and more research is going to come out with how detrimental it actually is? I'm convinced of that for a variety of reasons, so much so that it's probably going to be my next book on exposing the, the fraud and the deception of uh, the and suppression of the dangers of EMF exposures. So uh, it's a big issue. Uh, one of the big, one of the important components is to <clears throat> recognize that your cell phone is probably one of the primary uh, exposures, and. Uh, you know, you really should almost, well, it's harder to warn people, but I just cringe when I see people hold a cell phone next to their head. (laughs) If they only knew, you know, there was in the fifties, I think in the U S they used to use x-rays in the shoe stores to measure children to opt to figure out their shoe size. That's ionizing radiation. It damages covalent bonds like DNA and uh, they're outlawed now, so they can't be used. Uh, but and, and it would seem barbaric to use that type of technology. And similar, and even though cell phones are not ionizing radiation, they're they're actually different frequencies, and they do not break covalent bonds. But they cause pretty significant damage in a different way. They actually do cause genetic damage. They do it indirectly by disrupting mitochondrial function. And they create this uh, reactive nitrogen species called perioxynitrate when you're exposed to significant doses of this microwave energy that causes the uh, reactive oxygen species to damage the mitochondria and then secondary the cellular DNA. So it's a big issue. You really want to... I, I, when I hold my phone, I mean, I do not carry it on my body unless it's in airplane mode. And if I'm talking, it, I'm usually holding it with a selfie stick. I don't even touch the phone. So that's a simple th- trick you can do. Is typically, selfie sticks are like $10, $15 in the U.S. And so you just hold it out while you're on the phone. And you just carry your selfie stick around with you when, when you're out and about. That's correct, yes. 
Yeah, typically, I mean, it, usually when I'm traveling, because when I'm at home, it's usually at home. And I typically would, I, I didn't really fully appreciate this until relatively recently, because I used to put my cell phone on, leave it in my pocket when I would walk on the beach every day. But then I just realized and had this epiphany that this is a massive mitochondrial disruptor. And, uh, and it's really significant. You can I, actually you can purchase meters in the U.S. There's a meter. Probably can get them in Australia too. It's called TES five nine three. You can get they're about three hundred fifty dollars to five hundred, but you can get them closer to three hundred fifty, and that will actually show you microwave energies that you can measure from your cell phone, and it comes in a different uh, units. And the one we measure in the U.S. is the micro um, microwatts per centimeter squared. And uh, you can see it literally goes up one, two, three, four hundred times higher when the phone is on and it's engaged in a call. Four hundred times more radiation. But it's still, even when it's when it's not engaged in a call and the phone is on, not in airplane mode, it's still signif- uh, generating a significant amount of microwave energy. Mm. And so I have the Defender Shield case and the air tubes and uh, you know what do you think of those they're still not good enough no no they don't they don't stop the microwave energy and you can just check it yourself you can pick up this meter and, and check it ben greenfield was i don't know if you know who ben is yes he's been on the show he also has a defender shield and uh, was under the illusion that it was providing some benefit. It may provide some biological benefit because who knows how this microwave interaction, uh, microwave energy interacts with the body, and it may subtly impair it or uh, neutralize it in some way that's that's difficult to measure. But with respect to blocking the microwave iteration, it it doesn't. Mm. So even when it's on airplane mode, does it affect your mitochondria? Probably not, no, or if it does, pretty minimally. Yeah. So the airplane mode is a pretty effective way because it disconnects the ability to connect with the cell phone tower. So it's fairly safe. But, but I'm glad you're uh, aware of that. Yeah. I often say that I can feel like if I've been near Wi-Fi too much, like I can feel it in my cells. It really affects my mitochondria. And before we dive into my questions about ketosis and mitochondria, for people who have never heard of mitochondria, can you tell us what it is and why it's so important? Well, if you've taken biology, you've probably been exposed to it. They are uh, essentially derived from primordial bacteria uh, that integrated into eukaryotic cells. And most of the cells in your body have them, except for red blood cells and skin cells. And they have about several hundred to several thousand, depending on the tissue. Some of the more mitochondrial dense tissues would be the heart, brain, kidney, uh, liver, and the retina probably the most mitochondrial dense tissue. And uh, their function is essentially to, uh, they you see, when you eat food, food is a source of energy, but you know it doesn't, ma- it doesn't magically just eat it and you, know, you create in- in- instant energy. It has to be de- broken down and digested. And then it, the substrates are actually fed into the cells and then from the cells into the mitochondria where they pass the electrons from the, the primarily the fats and the carbohydrates you eat or, or generate from food you eat. And uh, they go through this electron transport chain and essentially pass them off to oxygen where it generates water. And in the process, they generate energy in the form of ATP, adenosine triphosphate. So these are they're called the cellular powerhouses. And uh, it's, it's like 
in some ways, it really is like an engine of sorts. It's a burning. It's a, it's a structure that that uh, generates energy, and as a result of that, uh, just like a car engine, at least a a combustion car engine, certainly not an electric motor, uh, there is uh, pollution. There's an artifact so uh, of that. And depending on the fuel you're burning, whether it's carbs or fat, there's going to be more pollution in the form of what's called a reactive oxygen species, which is a un- molecule with an unpaired electron. Actually, it's a reactive uh, oxygen species that causes a free radical, which is a molecule with an unpaired electron that then then damages mitochondrial cell membranes, proteins, and uh, DNA. And that that's what wrecks all the havoc. So when you're eating carbs as your primary fuel or burning carbs as your fire primary fuel, then you generate excessive, not not just reactive oxygen, but excessive, somewhere on the order of 30 to 40% more than is required. Because you do need some. It's not that reactive oxygen species are dangerous, pernicious, and you should wipe them out by taking all the antioxidants you possibly can, because you need some. And indiscriminate antioxidant use can actually be counterproductive. Mm. So these are pretty important, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So how does this metabolic mitochondria therapy that you talk about, how does it differ from a ketogenic diet? Well, it's a good question. Uh, The primary ketogenics would be Atkins and paleo. And certainly from Atkins, it differs from the quality of the food. So Atkins didn't really pay any attention to the quality at all, none. And... um, so we only tell people to have the highest quality food sources like organic or certainly not industrialized processed uh, uh, fats, which is really one of the primary disease-causing nutri- uh, foods that people are eating, these damaged fats. So um, when you're eating your fats, it should be healthy from fats from real food like avocados or butter or seeds or nuts, not processed industrialized oil, even oils like flaxseed oil because they're extracted and they can be oxidized and damaged. And then when they get in your cell membranes, they can wreak havoc. So the quality of the food is a big issue. Now, certainly paleo does pay attention to the quality of food, but the primary difference between there... Uh, would be the attention to the protein. And then our focus is on having an adequate amount of protein so that we're not overactivating probably the most important metabolic signaling pathway ever discovered, which was mTOR, mechanistic target of rapamycin, which is a nutrient-sensing pathway that can, if it's overly activated like insulin, cause metabolic havoc in your body. So you've got to be careful in the amount of protein that you're eating. Now, the other third way that it differs from both Atkins and Paleo, and it's probably the most, one of the most important, is that it's cyclical. So it's really a cyclical ketogenic diet. And by that, I mean you, you implement a ketogenic strategy and, and you maintain that strategy until you're able to burn fat for fuel as documented by your body's ability to to create ketones and once you create ketones then you then you then you alternate and you you cycle through ketosis in and out of it and i'm i'm a really strong believer in that long-term continuous ketosis is not a healthy strategy and probably will be counterproductive to your health so a typical strategy to use is five days in ketosis and two days out of ketosis so we call that feast famine cycling where you're in and out of it. And the feast days are great. You can have a lot of carbs, maybe 100, 150 grams of carbohydrates, healthy carbohydrates like 
not birthday cake or French fries, but things like sweet potatoes, you know, yams would be a good example. And some and, hel- and healthy fruit, of course. Delicious. I love sweet potato and love berries and things like that. So this sounds good. My husband and I read your book and we... You're a quick read. It's only been out for a week. I know, I know. No, six days, actually. Six days. That's pretty good. Yeah. So the app that you recommend... Chronometer. The chronometer. That's it. That's it. My husband and I, were. we realized after using that, that we were eating way too much protein. And this has been a huge wake-up call just to see how much. And, you know, it was really affecting us. So what happens when we eat too much protein, especially when we eat too much at nighttime? Well, your observation is actually really quite common. Um, Most people think that they know what they're eating and they're relatively clueless. You really have to do the due diligence, get out the kitchen digital electronic scale. If you don't have one, get one. They're like 10 bucks and use chronometer. It takes a little bit of time, as you know, maybe a few hours, that's all. But it's like riding a bike. Once you do it, it's easy. It literally takes a minute or two to, to input the data. And there is uh, there's no charge for it. It's free. And you don't do it the rest of your life. You do it for a few weeks, a few months, however long it takes until you get a handle on this and you know what foods that you need to take to get to make those windows. But when you have your primary question was what happens when you eat too much protein is that you activate mTOR, which is an anabolic pathway that causes you to build muscles. And you do need mTOR activation, but it shouldn't be continuous. Uh, the primary activate problem is that it suppresses a really important metabolic process called autophagy, which is um, when the body essentially digest broken down um, molecules and cells that need to be uh, removed. And when this process is impaired, uh, this is one of the primary risk factors for cancer. So the the simple thing is that you're going to radically increase your your cancer risk, uh, all types of cancer. And as we mentioned, the statistics it's 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 becoming even more and more pervasive. So that's probably the biggest issue. I am a massive fan of uh, you know Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield. They've both been on my podcast. So I've been doing intermittent fasting for years, but my husband and I, where we were going wrong was having these big protein rich dinners. And after reading your book and, and measuring it, we realized that this isn't ideal. It seems so obvious now, but you know, why is eating your biggest meal at dinner time not ideal for peak health? Great question. And, uh, it, boils down to the way that your body uses food. Uh, Obviously, it's fuel. So when you consume the fuel, your body's going to create energy from it. And it does this through the mitochondria, producing the ATP. And uh, if you're using the energy, it's a great system because you eat the fuel, you're making the energy, you're using it, everything's hunky-dory. But when you go to sleep, your your use of energy drops dramatically. So essentially, you've eaten this fuel. Your body's making mitochondria. Your body's making the ATP, and it has no nothing, no place to use it. It backs up this in the electron transport chain. It increases the reactive oxygen species, so you increase the free radicals and mitochondrial damage. So the key thing is not so much 
eating a big dinner, you could have a big dinner if your dinner was at three or four o'clock and you had a and you had a big workout afterwards. But you really want to minimize, I think ideally no food three hours, at least three hours before you go to bed. And like today, uh, my last meal was at three o'clock and I'll probably be asleep between nine and 9.30. So that's six hours. And you have nothing in between that time there. No. And here, and here's the beautiful thing. And as you can, I'm sure, testify to, and many of your previous guests have, is that when you're engaged in this and you're burning fat as your primary fuel, this is not a hardship. This does not require willpower or discipline. It is the easiest thing to do. There is no hunger. There are no cravings. It's just like falling off a log. It's just, it's, it's just a simple strategy. And it, it requires essentially no effort. You are not hungry. It's simple to do. Now, th- having said that, I I live alone. I am single, and I don't have a family to come home to. So there, you know, there is a social issue of engaging in uh, relationships with your family. So I'm not suggesting that you avoid that, but you don't have to eat a big meal. It could be a light meal, or you could have some some water or drink some sparkling water. You know, and, and spend the time together. You just don't have to eat a lot of food shortly before you go into bed if you if you want to avoid avoid this metabolic damage. Yeah, this makes so much sense. And I am a little bit of a nana when it comes to bedtime. I'm sometimes in bed by eight o'clock. And Ooh. yeah. What time are you getting up, Melissa? Well, anywhere between, I, I let my body just organically wake up. Um, so I get into bed about eight o'clock, but then I read and I connect with my husband oh, and we talk. Okay. So you're not asleep at eight, you're in bed at eight. No, no, no. I probably fall asleep around nine o'clock and then I'm up. Sometimes I just get up around 4.30, sometimes 5, sometimes 5.30. I just let my body do its thing. Perfect, perfect. I that, have a sun lamp, healthy. which wakes me up if I'm you know, sleeping because I have a stepson that I have to get to school every second week. But we would eat dinner still relatively early compared to some people at six o'clock, but then we're getting into bed at eight o'clock and it's still sitting there and I would feel full. I'd be digesting. I'd feel just heavy. And it makes so much sense to, you know, eat earlier. Well, you're healthy and you, when you're healthy, like you are, you- you, your body gives you feedback and you can figure it out. A lot of people are just unaware of it. The body's giving the signals, but they're just clueless. They just don't, they can't interpret what their body's speaking to them. But you obviously have been doing a good job at that. Mm. I've been looking into this stuff for many, many years and I just love learning more about it and doing what feels right for my body. And that's, you know, what I've done with everything. And I'm sure you do too. You really tune in and feel, is this working for me? How does this feel? And you act accordingly. Yeah, because when I started this process, I did not understand cyclical ketosis. And I went into a long-term ketosis strategy and I actually started getting unhealthy. I started losing muscle mass and looking terrible, like I was in a starvation camp. And then I realized something's wrong here. So I had to rethink it. And then I then I realized that it has to be cyclical. You've got to activate your glycogen stores and you have to, have to activate mTOR because you need to have muscle mass. Sarcopenia or the loss of muscle as you age is a real issue and you do not want to have muscle loss as you age. You want plenty of muscle so that you can engage in all your activities with all the mobility and all the function that you were when you're, when you're much younger. And it's really important for hormones for women, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially premenopausal women. Mm. No question. Because I've seen a lot of females that go into long-term uh, ketosis and end up losing their period. 
Well, absolutely. It's exactly what you'd predict. So that's that's why it's really important to be cyclical. And fortunately, there you know, there's a lot of people who start to get this, even some of the paleo. Certainly Dave Ashbury understands it uh, and Ben Greenfield do. So what does MMT do for brain power and energy? Well, it's amazing how many people are fatigued, but it's not a surprise when you realize that the primary source of energy in your body is the the mitochondria. So if we're doing all these things that destroy or impair mitochondrial function, it's not no surprise at all. But when you're when you do when you are optimized for burning fat for fuel and you're doing a lot of the other bio mitochondrial biohacks, which are incorporated in MMT, like cold thermogenesis, intermittent fasting, peak exercises. Uh, the, these are things that will improve your mitochondrial health also. So when, it, when it's that way, you will notice mental clarity that, you know, thinking as you were some of the best periods of your life and, you know, your memory is back and you have great sleep. Uh, and the, the, the big thing is that we have a tsunami of Alzheimer's disease approaching us in the U.S. And I'm sure it's no different for where you're at. So uh, this is a pretty solid piece of insurance to protect you against this this epidemic where you're going to lose your mind. Who wants to lose their mind? I'm always impressed. I interview a lot of people, a lot of professionals, and if someone's over 80 and they could speak to me clearly and articulately, I'm impressed because the average person over 70 nowadays has, a, has some form of dementia that's noticeable, at least in my experience. And if we just take this holistic approach that you talk about in your book and you refer to all the time, we can really make such a difference. And it comes back to taking responsibility for our own health and, you know, doing these things. It's not just about what you eat. Like you said, it's, you know, the intermittent fasting and the the exercise and everything. It's cell phones, cell phones Wi-Fi. Exactly. <laughs> all those. You know, that's the hidden one that hardly anyone gets. Fortunately, you're on top of it. And you've, you, you know, you're spreading the message, but it's just a lot of people still don't understand it. Certainly the average person doesn't. They just are clueless. And the physicians, <laughs> they're clueless on steroids. Mm, I know, I know. I mean, ideally, you know, maybe we would move to a mountain and have no Wi-Fi anywhere near us, but that's not the situation and we are surrounded by it. We live in Sydney, so... There's no reason to do that. There's no reason to abandon technology and all the benefits it's provided us. You just have to be smart about it. I mean, you can do things like like I do. I sleep in a Faraday cage at night to really minimize my exposure to the cell phone towers. And you can paint the rooms that you're in with this micro this um, electromagnetic shielding. So you know it's simple. It's simple to block this stuff out and still maintain the benefits of technology, which are extraordinary. I mean, I am not a technophobe in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing tool. What did you say you sleep in? You sleep in? I sleep in a Faraday cage uh, that uh, consists of a... I've never heard of this. You do? You haven't? I cannot believe that. No. I cannot believe it. I want one. What is it? Tell me. <laughs> well, it's it it looks like uh, a shear shears that you'd have on drapes. It's that type of fabric, except the the material is made of uh, typically cotton, sometimes polyester, uh, and silver and copper threads. <clears throat> when they all overlap, and you may need one on the bottom too if you don't 
if your bed isn't on the ground floor, then they create this shield that blocks microwave radiations, typically from several hundred megahertz to a few gigahertz. Probably won't block the 5G networks that are coming, may need some type of different shielding for that. But right now, we're not going to get 5G for another few years, so... But that's why I sleep in, and and you actually, you know, there's this, this meter, uh, you know, is a, it's a little bit expensive, three hundred fifty dollars a TES five nine three, but you can pick them up pretty much anywhere online, and it shows you. You don't have to guess, you know, because when you cannot see microwave radiation, but you can measure it, easily measure it, and it's so simple to measure it, and 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 once you once you see that, then you get motivated to make these changes because you can see how, how it is. And it can, it can find hidden sources of exposure that you had no clue or were not aware of. I found one. I was exposed. I, before I fully appreciated the dangers of the, the Wi-Fi and stuff, I'd forgotten that like five years ago, I put one on my TV, a router, and then it booted up every time I turned on my TV, which was at night. And I was exposed myself every night and I put my meter on this and I couldn't believe that the ratings were so high. And then I realized what I had done and forgot about five years ago. So I immediately took that thing down. Oh my goodness. I'm totally going to look into one of those sleep things. I'm, I'm going to convince my husband. <laughs> the, the canopy. Yes. There's a number of different, the, the two primary makers of the fabric, I think they're in Sweden or Switzerland. Uh, you can look up on my line on EMF canopy. They're easy to find. Uh, they're not inexpensive. They're probably over a thousand dollars. Uh, but you know, I think they're a good investment, and we're actually in the process of uh, probably making the material ourselves in our website, and going to make them out of non-GMO cotton because that's really important for us. Is we just don't like to promote any any of the non any of the GMO products, and most of cotton is GMO. So, uh, and hopefully, we can get the price down a little bit too. But uh, that's one of our goals for the next year or so. Oh, awesome. And another thing that I do is um, I'm currently at my stand-up desk and well, I, as, I... as am I. <laughs> yeah. And I am, I've got no Wi-Fi and plugged straight into the Ethernet, which is another thing that everyone can do that can minimize their exposure. Absolutely. So how does MMT, this approach, differ for vegetarians and vegans? Doesn't differ at all. The, the uh, really, it's the same basic strategies. Obviously, the non-food ones are identical, but even with the food, it is so easy to do as a vegetarian or even a vegan. I mean, it's not hard in the least. I mean, I don't. I choose to eat some animal foods because I think they're healthy. Um, that's my view. No, see, I could be wrong, but you know, that's my viewpoint. Uh, especially uh, fish, clean fish. You know, you don't want. Any larger fish, seafood that's contaminated with mercury, dioxins, PCBs, PBDEs, because um, that's not good. But they have that's probably the best source of DHA, which is a 22 chain carbon fat that uh, is largely responsible for many of the important functions in your body. In fact, it's so metabolically important that when you eat DHA, it really is one of the only fats that you can eat that your body doesn't burn as fuel. It stores it in your cell membranes. So it's uh, it's really important to convert energy from the sun into DC electric current. Uh, it's really important for brain function and many preventing many brain uh, disorders, uh, depression, dementia. So it's, it's vital to get. And I think seafood is the best way to get it, which is a challenge. That's really the primary challenge you have with vegans is that they tend not to get uh, this from seafood. I mean, they can get marine sources like algae, but 
that's like isolated DHA, which is I don't believe as good as getting it in the complete fat package because it's more or less a processed food. And you know, the, one of the basic principles is to eat non-processed food, eat real food. So, but the key thing is it's so darn simple. I I, I literally could be on a vegan diet and do MMT. It's not a problem at all. I mean, I almost have to force myself to eat meat once or twice a week. But I but I have fish pretty much regularly, which would be a vegetarian, you know. But uh, and then the eggs yolks too, I guess, would would not be vegetarian or maybe depending on what type of vegetarian you are, I guess. But uh, so it's simple to do. I mean, there's plenty of high fat vegetable sources: raw cacao, butter. Um, avocados, coconut oil, nuts, seeds, you name it. It's easy to, to meet your, your, your protein and uh, fat needs just with, with raw vegetable uh, protein and fats. And what are your favorite types of seafood and fish? My favorites would be one that are on the forbidden list because of the contamination. Um, I, I happen to like shrimp as it's the most popular seafood in, in the United States. The problem with it is most of the shrimp uh, is contaminated because it's harvested from Indonesia and really grown under atrocious conditions and fed foods that should are not fit for human consumption. So that should be avoided. I get mine from Alaska. And a lot of people are concerned, oh, about Alaska, about Fukushima. Well, that is so simple. You can, you can measure cesium, which is the radioactive isotope that is uh, responsible for the Fukushima radiation, at least just transferring it. And it's you can measure with a Geiger counter. It's easy to do. So, uh, And every time we've measured it, it's a non-significant issue. So, you know, this concern about Fukushima radiation contaminating the seafood, at least the seafood I've been exposed to is non-existent. It just is not a non-issue. So that is one. I have sardines, which is another great food to travel with because, uh, you know, I do a lot of traveling. I speak a lot of events and Invariably, it's the very, very rare occasion where there's going to be healthy food where I'm going to. So I just assume the food is crap and it's not designed to be eaten by humans. So I bring my own food almost all the time. So you can get a salad, but you know, just as long as you don't put the dressing on, because the dressings are going to be terrible. It's going to be sugar-loaded vinegar or adulterated fats, even though it's olive oil, it's going to be not fit for human consumption. So I just bring my own sardines, throw my sardines in there, I get my fat, plenty of uh, variety and, you know, a salad. And then I'll bring my smoothies and I travel, half of one of my suitcases is just food (laughs) that I travel with, so. (laughs) That is exactly like us. We just went to my in-law's house and I was unpacking my suitcase and it was just, there was a few items of clothing, the rest was food. (laughs) That's food, right. (laughs) Exactly. You got it. You figured it out. That's really the only way. I mean, you you just assume that there's not going to be good food here. Occasionally, that's uh, not the case, but that's the rare exception. And you don't want to be caught out, you know, be prepared. Oh, absolutely. I was a Boy Scout and I think they have Boy Scouts in Australia. They do. Yeah. They actually call them Queen Scout is I think is the equivalent of the Eagle Scout there. Yeah. So I was never a Eagle Scout in the United States, but I was definitely worked my way up. And that was one of the the things that they instilled in us is to be prepared. So you're right. It's a great strategy in life. Do you know what I love? I heard in one interview that you did a little while ago that you travel with avocados. Can you tell us how you travel with your avocados? Sure. Well, this I bet you'd like listeners would like to know 
since that's one of the most important fasts I think you can get, and I sometimes I mean, have at least one a day, and sometimes it's up to three a day. And I don't know what they are in Australia, but they're kind of pricey here. They've been running about $2 a piece. So this, the simple strategy to, to cut your price of avocados in half is to wait for the, to the time they go on sale, which is invariably almost all grocery stores put them on sale. And then you go and buy 35 or 50, maybe 70 of them, but they have to be rock hard green. And then you put them in your fridge and you store them for three to four weeks. And you take them out. Here's the key, three days before you're going to use them. Mm. So, yeah. So if you're going to travel with them, uh, depends. You the the you can travel with them rock hard, then it's not an issue. They can because you know the the baggage handlers will smash them for sure. But if they're if they're ripe or semi-ripe, then I use a uh, a cylindrical mailing cardboard tube that I insert them in there. And uh, I, I've I, I tend to use that, but the problem is in the United States is that TSA does not like me, so they tend to go in that tube and take out my avocados and throw them in my luggage and everything gets smashed. So I, my, my new strategy is to travel with them hard. <laughs> you know, I let them ripen when I get there, maybe, and then put it into like a, my, uh, I use a Nutribullet, so that can hold like two or three avocados in it. And I just put the container and they can't smash those. So those are the ones I use when I get there. Mm. And what do you think about organic versus non-organic? Because in Australia at the moment, avocados, non-organic avocados are around $3. Organic avocados are, you would be really surprised, they're close to sometimes eight, eight, dollars for one. Oh, well, I can save your listeners a, a lot more money. Organic avocados are unnecessary, and I'm a big believer in organic, believe me. Uh, and I've actually had my, my urine tested for glyphosate, and it was undetectable, essentially zero in my body, because I'm really diligent about my selection of foods. But it's not necessary to have organic avocados. We've tested them. We've done the tests. We've done the lab studies, tested organic versus non-organic, and there's not detectable pesticides in non-organic. So save your money, spend it on other things, spend it on a EMF canopy, spend it on other foods, you know, but don't waste it on organic avocados. It's unnecessary. Mm. Or better yet, grow them yourself. Yep. You've just saved a lot of people a lot of money. So thank you so much. So I'm curious to know, you know, you are probably one of those people like Ben and Dave, who's constantly working on themselves and wanting to improve different things. But is there one thing that you're currently working on that you'd like to improve within yourself? Now, this doesn't have to be health related. This could be emotional. This could be something totally different. I'd love to hear. Well, uh, as you tend to age, and I'm going to be 63 shortly, there's a typical observation that your amount of deep sleep decreases, and it had for some time with me. So I've got an interesting tool that I use. I actually learned from Ben, the the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A, that I wear that's pretty non-invasive, relatively very low EMFs, uh, and it's a great sensor and gives you... My husband has one. He wears it every night. Yeah, yeah. I wear it all the time, except when I'm charging it. But so I'm working on that. I don't know. What's your, how old is your husband? He is 38, 39 this year. Okay. And what's his, what's his deep sleep? Oh, I'll have to ask him. I, I don't know. But yeah. he's, he's got the Delta sleeper and he's got all the hacks that oh, yeah. Ben has, the eye mask, and he does the lavender and he does all these, these things yeah. to hack his sleep. But I, I tried the Delta sleeper. I wasn't impressed with it, so I returned it. 
Um, but I, I, I do like PEMF. You know, PEMF is one thing that's good on it. You know, I'm in the process also of doing a very comprehensive detox, even a little more comprehensive than Ben did earlier this year, uh, using things like uh, uh, infra, uh, far infrared sauna combined with the Juve light, J-O-O-V-V, that Ben introduced me to. So that's a pretty neat device. It's like five foot by three foot. So I do that combination. Then I am doing like an ionic foot cleanse and a whole variety of other nutrients like uh, modified citrus pectin, orthosilicic acid, uh, alpha lipoic acid and a few other things just to to really go in there and and do a clean. I've been so I think the sauna is a, is a big intervention, but th- th- that and the deep sleep because my deep sleep is like only two percent, three percent. Should be closer to five or six or seven. So I'm doing some interventions to try to biohack that. Mm. I fortunately, and I don't want to jinx myself, touch wood, I am the person that gets into bed and within 10 seconds, I am asleep. My husband's like, I've got a, I've got a window. As soon as I close my eyes, he's like, if I want to talk to her, if I want to make love, I've got a 10 second window because she's going to be out. Um, so I don't use... <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that might be dangerous. Oh, really? Yes. Do you want to know why? Yes, please. And your husband should know this because it's on it's on the Aura app. It explains this because it measures the sleep latency of the amount of time it takes from when you go to bed to the time you're asleep. Mm. And if that time is less than 15 minutes, and it sounds like it is significantly less than that for you, then that means you're undersleeping. <laughs> that you, yeah. So you you may need some more sleep. So I would I would pay attention to that and play with it. Mm-hmm. I will. I will. Um, you, and you may you may even want to wear his ring if he's willing to share that with you because you know put on your thumb or something. I'm sure his is, his is bigger than your finger, but you know, it might fit on your thumb. Okay, I'll see if he's willing to share. Who knows? Um, and we also have the the sauna in our house as well, so he does that uh, daily. Yeah, but it's probably far. But you need do need the near too. The near is really important. Um, typically, the near is only. Done Done through the heat lamps, which is clearly a, a near-infrared sauna. The problem with it is that most of the beneficial rays that are the red and the near-infrared at about 660 and, and 830, uh, there's only about 10% of those radiates from a heat lamp that come out of those, those frequencies, probably even less. So and it's really hard to get close enough to get those frequencies. So we think the LEDs are more efficient for doing that. So the, the an LEDs at 660, and uh, which is red, and then the 830, which is near infrared, uh, are really a beautiful complement to a far infrared sauna. Mm, we've got the sauna space one. So I think that is... Oh, it does it have a heat lamp in it? Yeah. Like four heat lamps? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, so then you would not need those, but... And that, that's useful. Uh, Wendy Myers, who I've, I've interviewed with her before, she has the same thing or similar one, the, the, the near infrared. And that is probably a better sauna than the far infrared. But I think even better yet would be to go to just a full low EMF far infrared with the a red and near infrared LEDs to complement it. Now, I that's my guess, and we haven't done the studies yet, but it seems metabolically and biologically through photobiomodulation and discussion with a lot of the experts who have been doing this for decades that this might be a better strategy. And the near-infrared helps boost the mitochondria, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it does it through providing energy. See, it's a chromophobe. There's a, there's a five... Uh, 
proteins in the electron transport chain, and one of them I think is protein two, cytochrome C oxidase, and it resonates with those frequencies, the 660 and the 830. So it absorbs that energy and makes them a, a basically a lean, mean, efficient ATP generating machine. So it just loves it. And that's what you get when you go out in the sun too. Although with these LEDs, you can get actually higher energy densities than you can from the sun. So especially if you have a, an injured tissue uh, or a problem or like you're trying to treat or reverse macular degeneration or, or Alzheimer's, you can get these higher energy densities with these uh, frequencies and really do some incredible restoration. Mm. And I know that you are a massive fan of vitamin D, but so many people, especially here in Australia, are petrified of the sun and petrified of getting out into it. And in Australia, we have this saying called slip, slop, slap. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's... Well, I've heard it. Yeah, but it's really, really sad. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? So I am a fan of vitamin D. I'm, I'm more of a fan of sunlight to get vitamin D. I've sw I have not swallowed vitamin D for 10 years, and my vitamin D levels are in a very healthy range, uh, 70 nanograms per milliliter or higher. Uh, so, uh, I because th I think that's the way we're designed to get it. Now, if you can't, now most people, I guess, certainly in Sydney and the large parts of Australia, you can get it from the sun. So, it's not an issue. The issue, the reason you have skin cancer is not because you overdosed on the sun, although that can be a contributing factor. It rarely is the main one if you're, you're sensible and prudent sun exposure. The big issue is you're, you're not eating a healthy diet. You've got these really bad fats, primarily omega-6, adulterated, oxidized, trans fats filled with cyclic aldehydes that's messing up your cell membranes and increasing your risk of, of these cancers. So that's the big issue. So eat healthy, get sensible sun exposure, never get sunburned, and you'll get not only the ultraviolet B that generates vitamin D, but you also get the near-infrared and the red that, that regenerates and repairs and restores your mitochondria. Mm, and what is healthy exposure in, in your view? Well, it, it totally depends. You it can't give a, I mean, you could have to get a meter out there and measure it. But the, the, generally, if you're Caucasian, you know, you never want to get more, as soon as your skin is a light pink, that's enough. You don't need any more. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people have darker skin. I'm My ancestry is Italian, so I got pretty dark skin and, you know, got a deep tan because I live in Florida. So it takes, you know, I'm, a, I'm typically out for 90 minutes a day in the sun. But I, I alter my exposure as, the, as, a, as, a, as I go into the summer, I try to get out early, maybe even as early as seven o'clock in the morning, but, but because we're a screwy country and we have daylight savings times, that's like closer to six because we put, move the clock backwards. So, um, yeah, you just have to be diligent about it and, you know, make sure that you're not getting excess because excess of anything, even good is not going to be biologically healthy. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. I have an Italian background as well. So for me, I have very olive skin and I can stay out a little bit longer than my husband, but he, he seems to go pink a lot quicker than I do. So he's, he's out as, you know, a lot quicker than me. So it's, it's really personal, isn't it? As well, he should be, and you know, you doesn't necessarily have to be out, but you have to cover up, and that's not what's what's with suntan lotion. That's typically much better with clothes that can block it, or in the shade somewhere. 
Yeah, I agree. So let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, this is besides all your amazing books. Let's pretend they're already in there. What other one book would you want in every single high school around the world? Well, that's an easy answer. It's really the one that motivated my writing my current book, Fat for Fuel, which is uh, Travis Christofferson book, Tripping Over the Truth, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer. Because you know we're looking at that being the number one cause of death by the end of the decade. So people need to know that the genetic theory of cancer is fatally flawed. It's, it's, it's dated. It does, it's not true. Yes, when you have cancer, you get genetic damage. But that's a secondary downstream effect from, from the mitochondrial dysfunction that produces the genetic damage. So understanding that, we really opened my eyes. It was an epiphany for me. I know, had all the bits and pieces together. But Travis is a really terrific writer and put it together in a way that's easy to understand and really decimates the conventional views on cancer. Can't wait to dive into that one. Let's talk about now how your day looks. I am obsessed with, you know, hearing about people's morning routines or how they prime themselves for their day. So do you have things that you do regularly? I know you're a creature of habit, so can you share them with us? Well, I get up and I I make my my smoothie, or at least prepare to make it, which is combining all the ingredients. And since there's two dozen, you know, it takes a while to do that. Uh, and then I charge my appliances, like my phone, uh, and I've got a PEMF device, my Aura Ring. Uh, I have a, another, a few PEMF devices, actually. So there's like five things I have to charge, my notebook. And then once that's all done, I go and do my sauna. And I do the near-infrared in red first, and then And then I go into the sauna and I do a variety of different calisthenics. One that I learned from Dr. Zach Bush is the nitric oxide dump, which only takes about three minutes, but radically uh, releases the body's. It's sort of a mini high-intense exercise. Then I'll do some sit-ups, pull-ups, push-ups. I do the neuro grips, but Ben introduced me to those. You you heard of the neuro grips? No. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a little piece of uh, metal that's a cylinder. With a like a six inch peg on it, so like your and the peg is like the size of a pencil. So you do the push ups and you're balancing six inches off on a pencil. So it makes it a bit more of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do those and pull ups and uh, chin ups or dips, and then I do the sauna and then I go into the pool, swim some laps in the pool, and then I eat my breakfast. Oh, and the sauna is interesting because it's a tent sauna, so that I can look at some of my emails when I'm in there, and, and has, and it, and it also has ozone in it too. So I, I put some ozone in the sauna. Uh, I do that, and uh, and a few days a week I'll do a, a, a more advanced form of detox, and then I get ready to go on my beach walk, which is typically an hour and a half. Wow, sounds like a really nice, lovely morning routine. It is good, and then I'm ready to go, you know, and it's, it's so good that I actually hate to travel because it's it's just a downgrade when I travel, so it's not as good as it's set up here, especially with a EMF canopy. Mm, sounds amazing. I'm going to definitely be checking that out. So I would love to hear now, what are three things you're most recently grateful for? Lots of things. You know, I've got a, a the, the success of the book, which is, uh, well, no, and like 
I think two days or so, maybe three days. If it's should be a number one New York Times bestsellers list. So I've been on the list before, but I never had number one. I think this it's been in the top ten on Amazon for the last week. So that's one. I'm just regularly grateful just for being able to to live the lifestyle I do to have structured things so that I have the opportunity to live in an environment where I can engage in these healthy activities and expose myself to the sun because I know a lot of people aren't able to for whatever reason. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And then, uh, you know, for a team and a staff that's able to help us make a dent in the world to really spread this message of information to people so that they don't have to suffer needlessly and die prematurely because of the fraud, deception and misdirection and misinformation that the conventional media is giving them. Mm. I know. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important and so powerful. And I'm very, very grateful to have you out there doing all the great things that you're doing. I think, uh, everyone would love. If you ever did a talk in Australia, I'm sure everyone would love to see you speak. So, um, you know, let us know if you come out this way. I will. I am curious to know now, I've got a couple more questions for you. What is one of the most important things that you could do today for your health? Well, that that really depends on who, which audience you're addressing. <clears throat> so it would be for your listeners or for the average person? Because the average person, the most important thing is just to drink clean water that's free of fluoride. Because fluoride is also part of the MMT program because when people don't know that it's a dielectric blocker and it blocks the ability of the sun to work properly in your body. So you do not want to drink fluoride. It's really hard to get out of your body once it's in. It displaces iodine in your thyroid. It's something that should not be put in your body. It's not necessary to, to decrease uh, tooth decay, or in fact, it actually worsens your bone density. So not a good thing. So that would be the number one for most people. For your listeners, it might be to get serious about burning fat for fuel. Mm, and they can do that by picking up your book, which I will link to in the show notes. So it's- Yeah, they can do that. And, and, and you got to be diligent, you know, it's recognize, and, and maybe they are, you know, you've got a lot of uh, advanced listeners and they're doing it already. So, but it's still good to get the book because there's a lot of fine tuning that's in there that we, you know, some of them we discuss here, but there's a lot more in the book that goes into details, especially like even someone like yourself who's pretty astute, you know, didn't realize that if you didn't measure it, you, you know, you're not going to know, <laughs> you just won't know. And you, and you're confused and deluded into thinking you're doing the right thing when you actually aren't. So it's not like follow this magic plan. We give you the principles to follow and you measure your body because everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Everyone has their own program. So some people might take a few days to, to burn fat for fuel. Some people might take a few months or longer. So it really depends on on the individual and you know and then how you cycle in and out was is was be another key component because you don't do this continuously you know even even prior to getting to the point of burning fat for fuel a lot of people benefit especially if they're away from doing uh actually regular water fast for a few days or even longer even a few weeks especially if it's supervised but that can really jumpstart the whole process of of getting their metabolism back to the point where they're able to burn fat as their primary fuel mm. Yeah, that's awesome. What is one thing that people could do for their wealth now? This is to do with, you know, what they do in the world. Do whatever it takes to identify your passion. And then, and really authentically, not academically or intellectually, but 
you know, sincerely at a, at a soul level, understand what you're put to be on this planet for. And once you identify that, and I don't care how long it takes, whether it's months or years, you got to get the real deal. Then once you identify it, then structure your life so that you can work towards implementing that in your life. And then, you know, life's, life's such a joy. It's a pleasure. You know, it's just really easy to live in abundance and have, make a real big impact on the world. I'm curious to know, have you always thought like this or was there someone, there was, was there a teacher that really inspired you growing up to have this more abundant passion driven mindset? No, no, I didn't really, you know, I went through some personal challenges in the mid nineties and started exploring the personal development literature and read a lot. I mean, I read lots. That's another key is to read, you know, I mean, it's to read a lot of books. I read about a I don't read as much as Ben. I read about 150 books a year. He he reads about 250 books a year. I, I don't know anyone who reads more than Ben. But uh, that is a key thing. So you, there's incredible knowledge there. People don't understand that for most books, how much how much wisdom and investment there is in there. It's like one of the best values you could ever get is buying a book. Oh my gosh! It's typically thousands of hours of time that went into into so to, to have a few hundred pages of someone has taken that. It's just an incredible value. So I read a lot, and that's you know by reading a lot of the personal development literature in the 90s and early 2000s, and at that time listening. To a lot of tapes because those were audio tapes back then. The cassettes <laughs> this is way pre-digital age. So, uh, but that really, you know, there's a lot of good speakers back then and still are today that really were inspiring, uh, that really helped me understand that and, you know, just implement it at a deep level. Mm, yeah. My husband reads, you know, one or two books a week. Um, he's, he's amazing like that. Very inspiring. All of you guys are, that's very inspiring. I'm going to get my, my reading on as well. So I'd love to hear now, what is one of the most important things that you think people could do for love? Well, I, I think you that's hit the nail on the head. Uh, I'm actually reading a really good book now. I'm just about finished uh, David Hawkins, who passed away about five years ago, but I've loved him and actually <laughs> learned. I just forgot about his stuff. And then Ben Ben was going over this. His, his, I think his last book was Letting Go, The Art of Surrender, which is really good and kind of goes into this and really reaffirmed. Actually, I, I, by reading it, I understood some of the mechanisms of how EFT, which is emotional freedom technique that I've helped popularize to the world uh, in the early 2000s, uh, an incredible tool for helping achieve this purpose because so many of us are screwed up. And the, the primary issue is that we don't love ourselves. And, and Hawkins goes in, Hawkins actually goes into that quite in depth in the book. So it's just making that transition, do whatever it takes to love and accept yourself for whatever you are. And, you know, understanding that we've you know, to just feel those feelings and experience them and let it go so that you can transition through them. It's a powerful tool. And uh, it's an excellent book. I mean, that, I mean, EFT is a great therapy too, if, uh, especially if you have some deep-seated trauma. Uh, but yeah, I mean, David's book uh, called Letting Go is just really another excellent one. You are talking my language. My second book is coming out December this year, and it's about love and relationships. And, you know, the whole first section of the book is about loving yourself, you know, really cultivating a beautiful relationship with yourself, because ultimately you can't show up 
in the world as the best version of you if you're hating on yourself or if you're not filling yourself up. So you are speaking my language. Yeah, that really, it's because it's the truth. I mean, it's the truth. Truth resonates, you know, it really does. And uh, it's age old advice, but it's, it doesn't make it any less powerful. Mm, I agree. And just finally, I've got one more question for you. And I think I know the answer to this, but what is one thing that I personally can do and the listeners today can do for you right now after we listen to this interview? What is one thing that the listeners and I can do to be of service to you today? Well, help us spread the message, I think, is the, the key. And we've uh, put together a project that I'm pretty sure is going to be implemented probably in the next few weeks. And I'm not sure when you're going to air this, but it's called Diet Against Disease. So it's actually eight hours of information. We went all around the country and interviewed some of the top experts. And so it's really a, an, an enormously beneficial piece of it, solid piece of information. So I would say just watch that and, and ask and invite some of your friends and relatives to watch it. So it's, there's no charge for it. So it's, it's, it's going to be a good thing. It's called Diet Against Disease. Mm, sounds amazing. And we can put a link in the show notes to that so people can check that out. And I'll also put a link, obviously, to your amazing book. Um, and just before we go, I want to say thank you so much for the work that you do, for being so prolific in your research, in your sharing, for your heart, you know, everything that you do, you can tell comes from your heart space, which is really important. And I can feel that. And it's been so beautiful to chat to you. This has been something that I've been very, very excited about. My husband has, you know, not stopped hearing about me talking about interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I could uh, connect and uh, it's really delightful to to talk with someone who's actually embraced these concepts because, you know, the average person hasn't. And it's just like, that's the other one of the other things that David talks about in his book is that, you know, it just, you can't beat people over the head with it, especially on diet and nutrition device. I and mean, you have to lead by example. So it's, and you know, I can't talk with this stuff with most people. Like I sit with next on a plane or something, they, they want to throw their shoe at me or something. So <laughs> it's, it's really fun to engage in conversation with people who understand it, who are embracing it and are eager to learn even more about it. So it, it's beneficial from my perspective too. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I wish you all the success with this book. I'm very excited. I want everyone to go out there and check it out. Out and thank you again. I'm just so honored. Thank you. All right, Melissa. Thanks for all the work that you do too. Appreciate it. So much good information. Holy moly. I know if he came over to dinner at my house, we would fully geek out on all of this biohacking stuff. I love chatting to people who are like-minded and who get it. It's just so much fun. And I'm very excited for you guys to get his book and check out his work. Let me know what you think. And I'm personally pumped to look at ways I can hack my EMF exposure even more to limit you know, the amount that I am exposed to. So if you have any other tips or tricks, please let me know. And if you loved today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes because that means we can inspire even more people together. 
and get on even more epic human beings. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who you would like me to interview and make sure you tag me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that we mentioned in the podcast today, you can check out in the show notes at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 25. And you can check out all my other podcast episodes there too. So thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and healthiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of would really benefit from this episode with Dr. McCullough, please share it with them right now. Email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get them to listen to this episode. And until next time, you beautiful human being, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. <laughs>